Good evening and welcome to Steadfast. I am so glad to be with you as we continue our series, Able to Sin. We're looking at the first human beings after the fall. You have Adam and Eve, and then you have Cain and Abel. What happens after that? That's where we are tonight. Because we've looked at Cain and his struggle with sin and, and his murder of his brother and what happens after that. But then the question becomes, where do we go from there? It's often the question in our lives, isn't it? If you know me, you know I love technology. I am a geek through and through. I love new technology. I'm intrigued by it. And it's one reason I'm excited for us to explore this next passage, because you could really say this is the first passage in Scripture that deals with technology. Now, I'm not saying it describes the next iPhone or the descent of technology as it describes the next Android, but what I am saying is that it describes human innovation, humans exploring the world. And so when we think about technology today, when we think about the things that we learn and study and innovate on today, we're really just talking about the same sort of thing on an ongoing basis. I think it's important for us to think about this because as Christians, we're not always sure what to do with technology. We're not sure what to do with what's new and different in our culture. And there's a good reason for us to be hesitant, but there's also an awful lot of reason for us to be those who lead in culture, lead in technology. And that's what we're going to think about tonight. As we do, let's go ahead and ask our God that he would help us to see how we can do that, how each of us is gifted to do that, and that we would indeed do that. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for each person that you've brought here and the technology you've given us in order to do that. Would you help us each to see the ways you've gifted us and enabled us to be those who use the gifts that we have to, to innovate, to push things forward in ways that are glorifying to you. And in the ways that we see that that was not the case with Cain and his descendants. Would you help us to flee that, but not to flee the creativity that you've given us in the process. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A few months ago, I talked to you about a really interesting breakthrough that had happened. Maybe you saw some headlines about it too. It's fascinating. There was a, a library full of scrolls in Pompeii that was part of the disaster of Pompeii. It was covered by ash when Mount Vesuvius erupted. Now, the interesting thing about that, if you think about scrolls, think about the paper books that we have. We, we're not usually around scrolls, but you think about paper in general, it deteriorates over time. Scrolls deteriorate over time. And so something that was interesting about the discovery of this particular library of scrolls is that it had been covered 
and the ash and the vol other volcanic materials of that eruption. And in that process, it had been carbonized. The, the scrolls had been changed in a way that allowed them not to deteriorate over thousands of years, but also made it incredibly hard to try to see what they were about because they'd been sealed up and hardened in such a way that when people had tried, even methodically, even over the patience of decades to, to pull them apart and see what they said, to see what treasures of the ancient world were there that had been lost, perhaps, the scrolls would fall apart. Well, about 10 years ago, someone came up with the idea to, to use the, the most sophisticated imaging technology we have, using various forms of x-ray and, and other imagery like we would use in, in medicine, to copy the layers of the scroll without opening it. So they had all this data, but they still weren't able to process it. And I mentioned a few months ago, a young man, Luke Ferrator, who at 21 years of age, broke centuries of a puzzle by, for the first time, being able to produce and demonstrate how he produced words that were written on these scrolls that had been hidden since the first century. He gave us a peek into that. Well, this what, what's become known as the Vesuvius Challenge has now made further steps. Not only did he produce a few words, but then various teams, they're all competing for prizes that the number of wealthy donors have contributed to, have managed to actually produce passages from these scrolls. And they're starting to reveal what Greek philosophers were writing in this time that had been saved in this library in Pompeii. What an incredible thing. And it struck me as I read that in, in preparation for us talking about technology, this was a, a, a headline this week, the, this next breakthrough on it. And, and, and everything that's happening with this, how incredible technology can be. You think about this. It's been centuries that they've wanted to know what these scrolls said. A, a farmer digging in a field had discovered this buried ruins several centuries ago, and then careful excavation had found these scrolls, but they've been locked away. And in a year, we've gone from, here's some imaging that might allow us somehow to get to, to what's in here, to hear some words, to now this year the challenge is who can translate, or not translate, but reproduce without taking apart the scroll, 95% of some of these scrolls. And, and they think that it can happen this year. What an incredible thing. We appreciate technology all the time in our own lives. You think about it, you walk into your house in the winter, and doesn't it feel nice when the heater's working? We don't even, well, but we don't really think about it, do we? We just take it for granted. We don't even think about it as technology. Well, of course there's a heater. We've all lived in an era when when central heat is a thing that exists in this world. But imagine the first people that experienced that. that they no longer had to, to count on a fireplace and, and bring logs to it in order to stay warm in the winter. Or somewhat more recently, although not in my lifetime, the time when people didn't have air conditioners. And, and, and I think about that and during the summer, I can't imagine not having that technology. There's all sorts of things that we appreciate in technology, even as, rightly, we, we wonder and we worry. There were trials before Congress this week as they were challenging the CEOs of social media companies about the dangers of technology. And a lot of Christians end up thinking more about those challenges than how we can use them for good. I think the problem is an old, old error, which is that we tend to think the misuse of human 
technology, the the misuse of human wisdom somehow erases the fact that God's the one who's gifted it to us. I believe that's why we have this passage from Genesis chapter 4. And let's go ahead and take a look, starting at verse 17, because we're going to see some things here about technology. And then we're going to think about why God would want to tell us about Cain's descendants and their technology. Let's take a look. It says, Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after his son Enoch. Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mahulajel, Jael rather, and Mahulajel fathered Methushel, and Methushel fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of the f- one was Ada, and the name of the other was Zillah. Ada bore Jabal, and he was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was J- Jubal. Very close there. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sisters, the sister of Tubal Cain was Nema. So we have some genealogy here. Maybe if you start a Bible reading plan at the beginning of the year, you just went whizzing through that. Slow down a little if you're trying to pronounce the names, but otherwise we just whiz on through it. There's some genealogy, a couple of interesting notes, but we just keep on going. Let's think about this for a second. We're going to get to Genesis chapter 5 soon. We're going to learn more about the line of Seth. That's actually going to be our next series. But here we're in the line of Cain. A line that's ultimately going to be destroyed in the flood. A line that has a sinful legacy beyond the normal everyday human sinfulness because its whole legacy is built around a murder. Why does God want to tell us that these people, these sinful people, these often incredibly wicked people are the ones that came up with all this technology? Well, There's different possibilities. We could say God's just outright condemning technology, and we'll get to in a moment how that doesn't work. Or we could just sort of ignore it and say, well, God just wants us to know what's going on in Cain's line. But think about that one for a moment. If God wanted us to know that, yes, Cain did have descendants, yes, there were people on this earth at the time of Noah's flood that that were related to Cain, he could have told us that. We didn't need to know that they innovated, that they came up with these things. We could have been told who of Noah's family adopted these technologies, who of Noah's family were the first to use these technologies later on after the flood, and that would have been fine. But what does God do instead? He tells us about what happens in Cain's family. Why? I don't think it's to tell us the technology is bad. I think it's to tell us a little bit more about the complexity of human nature. That yes, these were bad people. Most of them were utterly wicked. And yet, and yet, even in that, they actually came up with things that were useful. They came up with things that were good. They came up with things that we still continue to enjoy and benefit from today. How can we tell that? How do we know that this isn't some very quiet, subtle railing against technology? Well, if we take a look at verse 20, once again, we see Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. Now, who else dwelt in tents and had livestock? 
The author of Hebrews summarizes that in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 9. Notice what he says. By faith he went, that's Abraham, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob and heirs with him of the same promise. Dwelling in tents, using that as a way of survival, that's viewed as a good thing. Because Abraham himself did it. And, of course, Abraham wasn't perfect, but that's never something that Abraham's criticized about. In fact, that's exactly what God wants him to do. God doesn't intend for Abraham to have a permanent settlement in the land. He intends for Abraham's descendants to get to take the land after the Exodus. But Abraham's meant to be nomadic. And God's okay with that. And the author of Hebrews notes how Abraham is focused on God's promise as he dwells in a tent. So our first clue that technology is actually something that God doesn't view negatively, but rather it's us using that image of God in us to, to create things using the components that God's given us. It's right there. Here's one of Cain's descendants, someone who is part of that, that line of, of wickedness of Cain, who comes up with the very way that the first people of God are going to dwell for a very long time. Isn't that incredible? Even after the Exodus, think about it. What do the people of Israel do while they're in the wilderness? They dwell in nomadic settlements. So it's describing here an innovation. Now, that doesn't sound like an innovation to us. Tents, that's archaic. That's not technology. But the first time someone used one, it was technology. It was innovation. And, it, and this is something positive. So God's cluing us in on how technology works. It, it's a mixed bag like everything else in this world. Yes, it could be used by people who are bad. And you might say, well, wouldn't it be nice if they didn't have something to protect themselves so they, they weren't around to cause trouble. But, but the thing itself is going to be a useful thing. And God gives credit to the line of Cain for coming up with it. Then what do we find with Jubal? Jubal comes up with music. You see music throughout scripture. And Tubal Cain, what does he do? He comes up with how to use metal to create tools. Well, that's a pretty incredible thing and a very useful thing as well. These are not bad things. Take a look, for example, at Exodus 31. Speaking of the people while they're living in tents in the wilderness, the Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, and cutting stones for settings and carving wood, to work in every craft. Addressing one another, let's jump to Ephesians 5. Let's think about music. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. What do we see in these two readings? Well, first one, Old Testament, people are preparing for the tabernacle. God gives them the gifts, including the gifts of working with metals, just like what we see was innovated as Tubal Cain is the first one to forge metal. And then in that second reading, when we jump to the New Testament, we see all the way in the New Testament, what's right there in the midst of worship? Singing praising God through song. And so these two innovations we see first with Cain's line, well, they're things that God actually not only appreciates, not only things that God is okay with, they're things that God gifts to his people, and they're things that God calls his people to use directly in worshiping him. 
as we find ourselves worshiping God today and we use our our abilities, our crafts, our, our well, technology to bank, make buildings that, that work well for the worship of God. As we use the technology of musical instrumentation and, and crafting music, that's a technology. As we use that to praise God, we're using technology for the glory of God. And that can feel a little counterintuitive when it's tied in with these people because we tend to think, well, bad people, they come up with bad things. Good people, they come up with good things. Now, of course, we're in trouble if we think in those categories because we know that, that none of us are good. But the other thing that we need to remember is that there isn't anyone on this earth, even the really wicked amongst us, who in some very obscured sense isn't still reflecting the Creator, isn't still showing His image. And so, even as we encounter those who are wicked, as they create things that are good, as they create things that are actually possible to use to glorify God, we shouldn't just immediately dismiss that innovation, that ability, because of the person behind it. I like what Derek Kidner says reflecting on this passage. He says, The Bible teaches nowhere that the godly should have all the gifts. Sometimes today that's how we live, at least on a conceptual level. And, and a lot of times with things like modern technology, the sort of technology we use in computers and, and that sort of thing. But, but I love what Tim Hawkins has to say in one of his comedy skits about when we have a medical need. Think about this for a moment. I, I can't remember. I, I tried to find this again. It's been a while since I heard it. But he was either referring to when he needs dental work or, or, or if you need surgery, maybe you have a heart problem. But he says, when you show up and you're in pain and there's a problem, you don't say, uh, Mr. Doctor, Mrs. Doctor, are you a Christian? He says, no, Herr Krishna, come over and grab me and take care of me. I'm in pain. Well, of course, if you're on a plane and start to have a heart attack, you're not going to question the 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 confessional statement of the person who happens to be a doctor on board who comes racing over to help you. You're going to be thankful that God made that person and gifted that person with the ability to help you. And we can kind of laugh when Tim Hawkins is talking about, about it, but he's really pointing to a, a deeper truth that we see here, which is God gifts people, even people who don't know him, even people who might outright fight against him and deny him and do everything to turn people away from him, he still has created them and they still are using, whether they understand that or not, gifts from God to do things. Sometimes they can use it for utter wickedness, but how grateful are we even when people don't yet know Jesus or may never know Jesus if, for example, they have some sort of medical understanding and they save lives? They reduce pain. They improve our ability to live our lives and to do the things that God's glorified us to do. And that principle, it's not just when we're at that point where I might be dying or I might be in agony, but in every part of life, we're going to encounter people who come up with innovations and technologies and insights, and we should be willing to learn from them. Controversy that we often see in the church. Should we, as Christians, if we're going to seek knowledge of the mind, psychology and counseling. Some Christians have said, well, but we shouldn't learn anything from the psychologists of the past who weren't confessing believers because they didn't understand who Jesus is, or they even wanted to deny that there was a God, people like Sigmund Freud. And that controversy has trickled down in the church where there's argument over whether Christians who are going to do counseling, should they 
only deal with people who are directly using the Bible and only the Bible for counseling. But here's the thing. It's exactly what Kidner said. It's exactly what Hawkins, it, it, much on a much lighter note, but still a very serious point, brings up. God has gifted these people. And we need to use discernment. We need to be wise as we approach these things. But if someone is struggling with something and, and there's all kinds of good research on, on how we think, how we interact with other people that, that comes from non-Christians, we should be willing to learn from that. There's all kinds of wonderful medical knowledge from non-Christians. We should be willing to learn from that. There's all kinds of computer technology. We wouldn't be on this live stream tonight if we only used technology created by Christians. I, I wish all the innovations of our present world were, were made by Christians. It'd mean there were a lot more Christians, and it'd mean that the, the people of the church were doing a great job of, of engaging with everything in the world. But the simple fact is Christians aren't the ones that have created a lot of the things that we use in this present moment, but we can't use them to glorify God. I was struck by that last night as we received another new member who is online. As Cindy joined last night, and we did that online just as we had previously with Greg and with, with Joyce, and we, we can use this amazing technology to connect from thousands of miles away. What a beautiful reminder it is of the technology that has made us the church that we are at Little Hills, that we're a church that's online a lot of the time, we also gather in person. We're a church that, in some ways, over these last couple of years, I'm so thankful for all of you. I don't think I've ever been at a church, been involved with a church, that we were all so constantly involved in each other's lives, praying for each other, talking about things throughout the week beyond just at gathering times. Why? Because we, we use things like signal messaging and the different posts that go on social media and so on to, to interact with each other and encourage each other and pray for each other. What a beautiful thing it is that God has allowed us to use this technology. Now, when it's technology we're already comfortable with, we, we don't think about that that much. It'd be really easy to forget we're even using technology. But then some new technology comes out and we get very nervous. And I think this passage is meant to help us with that and say, well, be wise, be discerning. Some things that, that Cain's descendants are going to use technology for are bad, but... The thing itself isn't necessarily bad. How can we learn and use the greatest innovations, the greatest things people come up with, whether it's in, in research on how to help people, uh, whether it's on technology that allows us to do live streams, whether it, it, it's the technology be behind a new car, whatever it might be, how can we use the greatest things that people come up with, regardless of whether they know Jesus or not, that those of us who do know Jesus are better equipped, better enabled, tell people about Jesus and to do the work of the church. And that's what we're doing, whether we're using Signal or, or Teams or live streaming on Facebook. I don't necessarily think that Facebook, for example, is primarily a force for good in the world, that its primary purpose, it certainly isn't to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's not what Facebook's principle was founded upon, but it gives us a platform. And thankfully, God allows us to use that platform. And here's the thing that happens when we as Christians are willing to engage in the cultural conversation, when, when we are technology makers and culture makers. And, and notice we talked earlier about music being a part of this. Christians should be making the best music. People should be, that are Christians should be writing the best literature. That should be our calling too. We should be the best scientists and innovators. We should be using these gifts that God's given us 
Because when we do, we're actually testifying to God every step of the way. And sometimes it's in very subtle ways, but it just keeps confronting people. Years ago, as a teen, I, I learned how to program. And, and my first real crack at programming, and, and still the place I love going back to, is the language called Perl. Many of you have probably never heard of it, but but I love this language. And for a very long time, while you may not have heard of it, it was the language that powered a vast swath of the internet. Much of the internet was originally written in Perl. And so when we think about the internet, Perl and the internet are linked together and have been for decades. Well, the creator of Perl, Larry Wall, is a devout Christian. And in little subtle ways over the course of decades, just in creating a programming language, he's testified to God. For example, there's a command that, as far as I know, only exists in Perl, but is essential to doing good Perl programming called bless. Now, most programmers aren't thinking of blessings, but Larry Wall was because he's a Christian. He knows about God's blessing. And so what did he do? He created a language where when you want to do a core function of that language, you write the word bless. For years, as he was going to describe how the language should advance, what did he do? He wrote apocalypses, or, or in other words, the Greek word for revelation to refer to that communication. He was testifying to something about scripture. Even today, as Pearl comes up to the Christmas season each year, a bunch of people, and I don't think all of them are necessarily Christians, contribute to a Pearl Advent calendar that tells people how to do new tricks in the language. And it's just interesting to me, here's someone who's a Christian doing something that we might normally not think of in a particularly religious sense. He's creating a programming language and everything that goes around it. But in creating a culture that is... Just him being himself wanting to glorify God, he's created this Christian influence, this, these little hints that point to Jesus that programmers that don't know anything about Jesus are going to type in every day. And who knows how God has used that over the years and how he will continue to use that. How wonderful when we actually engage in culture, when we engage in technology, because then we can actually testify to God in big and little ways in everything we do. Now, that doesn't mean that technology isn't used for bad, and clearly we see that here as we continue in this passage. We see not only technology, but technology used to distort the human condition. For example, verse 19, And Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other was Zillah. Now, you might say, what's the innovation? What's the technology there? Well, that's the first time someone practices polygamy. That's an innovation, the bad innovation. But certainly, as we see, as Cain and his family are trying different things out, one of the things they decide to do is say, "Well, maybe we should. Maybe it'd be good if people married multiple people." And so they try that out, and that's something that's going to exist in the ancient world. And here's where it starts. But as we look at that, we can say, "Well, there's an innovation that's distorting to the human condition. Some of what they're doing is improving the human condition. That's a distortion." Another example, if we go to the end of the, our passage for today, Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Nema. Now, what we really want to look at there is that first sentence. If you notice there, the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. Now, it doesn't say this explicitly, but many commentators, as they look at this, say, you know what? It would appear here the part of what's being described is probably the creation of weaponry. And as we get into next week, we'll see a little bit more why we should 
lean that way, why that makes sense. And so it appears, yes, does he create something that's going to be useful for plowing fields and, and digging foundations for buildings and, and whatever else? Absolutely. But is he also creating something that you can use to attack and kill people? Sure looks like it. And that's where Derek Kidner picks up in his observations in this passage that are so helpful, I think. He says, Cain's family is a microcosm. His pattern of technical prowess and moral failure is that of humanity. So I, I thought about that in preparation for this message. I was chewing on that quote. I, I just had it sitting there on the paper for a number of days, just looking at that quote. And I thought about it, and I, I thought about how you could write that about any of our families, any or any, think of your favorite inventor or innovator today. You could put that label on and it would fit because what are we going to see? Every time we come up with technology, every time we come up with innovation, every time we contribute to culture through music and art and literature, whatever it might be, every time we do so, some of it's going to be used for good and some of it will be used for bad. What this passage is challenging us to do is don't just assume immediately it's bad. Explore it and use God's discernment. Use his, his good word that tells us what's good and bad to then take those things, those innovations, those abilities, and direct them in a way that blesses people. I mentioned at the beginning that fascinating Vesuvius project, and, and I may do another illustration down the road on that because I'm anxiously following this and curious to see everything they're going to uncover. What I didn't mention, though, is exactly how they'd manage to take these scrambled images they made about a decade ago and turn them into something suddenly at, at breakneck speed that you can actually go online today and read. How did they do that? Well, they used AI, machine learning, artificial intelligence, that thing that is all over the news right now. They used that because they could analyze patterns and learn from the little bits they, they were able to pull apart to apply that to larger parts. And so the challenge, the Vesuvius challenge was a challenge to programmers to create AI code that would look at these images and create a reproducible result where you could apply some of this, this imagery data they had and generate more and more of the ancient text and be able to demonstrate how you could do it so they could with confidence say it really is showing what someone in the first century wrote down. Incredible thing, isn't it? But think about how much we're afraid of AI. And I'm not saying we shouldn't have some fear about it. We can think about things like ChatGPT, and it's pretty fascinating, but we also see publishers getting inundated with stuff that was just written by a machine that's really sort of nonsensical. Fake phone calls now being generated by AI, trying to fool people. Fake photos that are horrible or could implicate people in crimes, all this sort of stuff. Yes, AI is coming speeding at us like some of these technologies in ways that can distort human culture but it can also give us great insights, like what we see with the Vesuvius challenge. I think what really scripture is telling us is we need to be cautious. God wants us to know that these things were created. He's willing to give the credit to people who weren't necessarily good, but then continue to affirm the things they came up with over time so we don't just discard them. We shouldn't be knee-jerk. Our knee-jerk reaction comes from Cain, let's reject it. But here's the thing with everything that's a societal advancement, it's a tool. It'll be a tool for good or bad, depending on how we apply it. It's not always bad. It's not always good. The question is, how are we going to use it? But if we can be those as Christians who take those good gifts God's given us and say, let's 
dig into the depths of knowledge. Let's figure out new ways to heal people. Let's find new ways to create things that are beautiful and wonderful. That's glorifying to God. My prayer is that all of us with the gifts that he's given you and he's given me would do just that. As we go into this week, into this year, and into the rest of our lives, may we be those who are on the forefront of that. Glorifying God all the way, holding on to him, being discerning, but being the creators that he's made us to be. For that is who our God is. He is the one who creates and the one who loves to share his creation with us. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for being the creator, for creating this beautiful world. You are indeed the most wonderful scientist, the most beautiful art creator of art, the, the artist extraordinaire, the, the one who didn't just create some beautiful piece of music, but the one who created the very ability for music to exist. The one who, who created the elements that, that turn into the things that we build. And then who created us and gave us the ability to, to put things together. We can't create anything without you, Lord, but with you, you enable us to be those who study and who learn and who create. Lord, would you help us? Would you help us to be those who do so as Christians, that your church would push things forward in a way that in big and large testimonies to you would would embed the very truth of your gospel in everything we do. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What an amazing thing it is that God does that for us. And, and you might say, well, but did God do that for me? And what we can say here, what we see here is God did that for everyone. But here's the other thing. If you're thinking, but I'm on the outside, I'm like Cain. Here's a wonderful night to say, but I don't want to be on the outside anymore. The best innovation of all is, is the innovation where God turned everything upside down, came into the world and offered us his grace. And, and Tonight, you can say, Jesus, I want you. I, I know I'm just going to take everything I do, even the things I come up with that are beautiful and creative, and use them for just useless or bad purposes. I want something better. And here's the thing, the wonderful thing. God is faithful to answer that prayer. If you do have a prayer request, maybe you'd like to learn more about who Jesus is, or you're struggling with some way that technology interacts with life or anything else, feel free to shoot me a text at our texting line, 833-356-4032, 833-4032, or leave a comment or prayer request in the comments below. It's great to talk with you and to, to wrestle with the truth with you, and of course, to pray with you. Hope you have a wonderful and blessed week, and I will see you again next week.